Well, hey, welcome to the Vineyard this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you're online joining us, we're so glad you're there. And for those of you here, we are so glad you're here with with us this morning. I just want to give a quick shout out. Uh, My friend Tom Thatcher, if you were here last week, Tom hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. He's going to be back here with us in a few weeks. And uh, we're doing this series, uh, series in the book of Mark. And it's a 16-week series just through the gospel, and it's about things can change and uh, kairos moments about how God, kind of the time and God's time inside of our time, how he wants to speak to us and move through us. And uh, let's just face it, there's some difficult chapters in the Bible. There's some stuff that's really hard to understand. So I gave Tom one of the hardest ones because he's a Bible scholar. So in a couple weeks, (laughs) I'm going to give Tom the hard one, but I think he'll do a better job with it uh, than I ever could. So, um, but hey, want to encourage you, our house groups are launching this week, and what our house groups are, are these are kind of our small groups on steroids, and this is where we're really, we want to take small groups to a deeper level um, than hopefully we've ever taken them, and we want to see not just groups add, but disciples multiplied, and so we've been working, um, working as a team and praying as a board and staff and with some other people on a strategy of how we can do that. And these small groups, if you're, if you're like, man, I know there's more. I know there's more. If you're a youth, if you're an old person, if you're someone in between, if you're like, I know there's more, I want to go to a deeper depth, another gear, then get, in, uh, get into a house group. Get into a house group, and it'll be the segue into a broader, broader expanse of disciple-making than hopefully you've ever known. And uh, maybe you're really seasoned. This is just a great time for you to step, to step in and help out. And so we would love to see you there and sign up on our uh, website. And uh, you can just go to, to vineyardchristian.org, and then you can just see from there. There'll be a little house group banner on the top, and you can hit it. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, I ask you to come. I ask you to come in your spirit. I pray that you would break through every barrier today. Everything that we're dragging in here, Lord, life's hard. Life's hard, Lord. And it's hard just sometimes to make it week to week, minute to minute, hour to hour. And I know a lot of people are coming in here with heavy stuff, maybe wondering where you are this morning, wondering how they got here this morning, feeling all alone, feeling apathetic, feeling like giving up, I pray you'd break through that today, Jesus. I pray you'd speak uh, through me in the time, and then, Lord, uh, when people come to the altar later on, I pray it's just flooded with people who want to, just want to receive from you. We love you, and we bless you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine you're on a boat. I want you to imagine Maybe you are one or you're with someone who's like a master mariner, a master of the sea, someone who knows what they're doing and you're out there. You've grown up on the water. Maybe you're a third, fourth, fifth generation fisherman. You're going out across the lake at night after a long day, which is a bit freaky in and of itself, um, to get a jump on the competition the next day. And as you're moving across the lake onward, you find yourself at the nascency of a storm. You start to feel that wind just kind of pick up. The air gets a little colder. You see the waves start to bounce and move and uh, grow in their height. Then the moon and stars start to disappear. 
Next, maybe you feel a little queasy from the bouncing of the ship on the waves. Anyone get seasick or motion sick? Yeah, you would not be enjoying this time of the trip. Now maybe you feel some droplets, small and slow, but before too long, possibly you're either getting drenched from above or drenched by the waves as they're crashing into the ship on both sides. And you're too far to go back from when you came, <clears throat> but your destination's too far to really feel good about if you're gonna make it. At this time, you've got a million thoughts running through your mind. First of which is if this gets any worse, or I go overboard and this thing capsizes, I am at best four minutes away from it being over. Just curtains. Because it doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are, you're too far away to make it and the waves are too strong uh, for you to survive it. You start thinking, maybe I'll never see my wife or kids again. Maybe I'll never see my friends. Maybe I'm not gonna make it to that three o'clock that three o'clock luncheon tomorrow. Maybe I'm not gonna make it for that uh, uh, Super Bowl parade or whatever it was. Why would God let this happen to you? How did you get here? I mean, Jesus sent us ahead. He told us to go. And I think to like anyone, whether you're like new or old or like experienced at this, less than perfect weather can be scary. It can be really scary. And the bottom line is, these guys are probably scared to death. The disciples were in this uh, very situation. They were men of the water, most of them. They spent their entire lives, up until the last year or so, on water of lakes, uh, rivers, and the sea about 12 hours a day. Every day, except for the Shabbat. Where'd they go wrong? How'd they get here? Why would Jesus send them out ahead of him into this place? I mean, it had been a really weird last few days. Last time they were on this sea, they were coming back from Jesus casting out a demon out of some guy and sent a bunch of pigs down the hill. And people asked him to leave. And the only guy he left there was the demon-possessed guy. Then they went back to his hometown and no one really lauded him there. No one accepted what he was doing. No one really trusted him. He was doing some parlor tricks. And they're like, wait, isn't this the carpenter's son? And he said he couldn't do much there. So the long-awaited homecoming after a long stint of traveling finally comes, and it was a major flop. This was a terrible response from the people of Nazareth. But you gotta think, are, are the disciples maybe starting to lose a little bit of their trust in Jesus too? Like, you flopped there, and now you're sending us out here. You wanted to feed all those people. Okay, feeding them uh, with the kids' Lunchable was pretty sweet. Gotta say that. But... Um, what are you doing here? And um, have you ever found yourself just in that place where you're really questioning what's, what's God's doing? What is God doing? What's he thinking? Why are you here? Do you deserve this? You thought it was gonna be better. You thought things were changing or maybe you thought things could change and all of a sudden you're in this lull again Waves crashing down, literally, figuratively, and you're like, what do we do next? You've experienced his presence and his favor, and now you feel his absence and his rage. And we think of all the reasons of why we deserve it, 
maybe we've had a hard life or maybe we pay our tithe or maybe we go to church or we volunteer or maybe we're not as bad as that loser we sit next to like in the cubicle or that other person that we work with or that neighbor of ours. Maybe we deserve it for some reason. And these thoughts of rage comes from a worldview that permeated them and now, I mean, we're very cause and effect, aren't we? We're very cause and effect on some level. And these guys, their cause and effect uh, worldview ideology was even superior to ours in the sense of their very Greco, uh, Greco-Roman world. Everything was based upon if you made the gods happy, things were good. If things were not going good, the gods must be angry. So, so Peter, James, John, Andrew, the rest of the guys, this trip's off to a bad start and they're wondering maybe what did they do wrong or what was Jesus thinking or am I going to make it? None of which are great thoughts to have. I mean, was uh, Poseidon ticked or was Yahweh furious? You know, whatever the God of the day was, um, these guys had seen some crazy stuff lately and were probably feeling a little less than sure about the outcome here. And now they're on the water and they see a ghost. Just to make things better, they see Casper, the friendly ghost. And so in their culture, if you see a ghost, it's not generally a good thing, a la angel of death. So there's the storm and then you see the ghost, like is the reaper here. You ever been in a bad time and then like just something else happens, like is the reaper here? Is it all gonna fall apart from here? Or maybe you're in the middle of a storm in your life where you're just like, you feel like I just can never see a way forward. I'll never be able to stop drinking. I'm never, I I can't stop how I feel about this person that I'm not really supposed to be with. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. They're irresistible. I hate the person I'm with. Or I, 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 I know the Bible says that, but that can't really pertain to me. I can't stop it. Or maybe you just can't stop shopping. You can't stop spending. Maybe you can't stop eating. Maybe you can't stop consuming whatever it is. Maybe you can't stop every person you meet turning them into Forrest Gump on a park bench and just blabbing out your life story. You just can't stop. The waves feel overwhelming. It has to come out somewhere. Why would Jesus send us ahead? Why would he have these, absence, these absent lulls in our life? And why would he send us to do this in a situation like the one I'm in? How should I respond? And going backwards a little bit, what's up with Jesus anyways? He kind of lost some face in like the 10 cities and the Decapolis. And then when he went back home, and this time he sends us ahead. Like, what, what, what's going on with him? Was he tired again? Was he cleaning up the leftovers? Was he hungry? What was Jesus up to? I mean, he had just preached and fed the crowds. But why did he go off alone and pray? Why would he have done this and let these things happen to us in the boat? I thought he knew everything. I thought he knew the end from the beginning. Why would he let this happen in my life? Why does he shoo us along? Why does he seem to step out just when things are getting hard? 
I mean, we know that the guy uh, needs some alone time. What was he trying to figure out next? Was it the rejection? Was it the pain? Was it the struggle? I mean, or did he just leave us? Plain and simple, did he just send us off on a mission to die because we ticked him off? Then we learn in John, so we're, we're in Mark chapter 6. And this is Mark's rendering of the story so far. Jesus sends the disciples out ahead of him on the water. But we learn in, like there's other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, and sometimes they tell the story from a, from a different angle. And we see in John's story, that Jesus was aware that they were wanting to make him king after he fed the masses. And maybe it was by force. So was Jesus trying to, was he worried the disciples were gonna join this coup? Was he, like, what was he up to? Was he gonna disappear? Was he gonna pull, like, a disappearing act? And I think clearly on some level, they got Jesus needed some headspace right now. And they'd seen a few times a few times already, whenever Jesus goes off, there's something going on. But I don't think as the water was coming in, they were processing Jesus' good rationale for uh, leaving them at a time like this. Does your life ever feel like this? Does your life ever feel like you're alone? Does your life ever feel like, feel like, God, what are you doing? Do you even see this? Or maybe you see God as a watchmaker. Like he just made this watch and he sets it in motion and he winds it and then he just kind of cruelly steps away and just watches our lives just collide into each other and some people do well and most people not. Does he just make everything and set it in motion and then just let it go? Whatever the case is, like this is, I think these are the questions that we all face about how real is God, about how near is God, about God, what are you up to in my storm? What are you up to when, I, when life is wasting away, when I just feel like it's too much? Are you there? And those long periods, we've all had those periods maybe. Um, I don't wanna speak for everyone, but, but a lot of us have had those periods where you feel God, his love is tangible, and the fellowship of the body is amazing, and you see growth in your own life, and you have hunger and desire that's tangible. But then there's these laws where you're like, what on earth is happening? It's like that, like that Malachi to Matthew expanse sometimes. You can feel like, God, why, why did I feel you back then, but I don't now? Why would you leave me in this mess? Why are you so distant? Are you sleeping on the job again, Jesus? And it says um, in Mark 6, 47 through 50, it says, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them. It was about the fourth watch of the night, which means probably about three in the morning. He came to them walking on the sea and he intended to pass them by. I'm not even gonna unpack that. I don't know what's going on there. But it says, but when he saw them, 
when he saw them, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all were terrified. See, this is huge. This is huge. Like, this is another level. They'd already seen Jesus' mastery of the weather. They'd seen Jesus' mastery of the spiritual world. So if you think in the very Greco-Roman worldview, they had a lot of gods, but they had three primary gods, Zeus, Hades, Poseidon. Okay, so they'd seen Jesus' mastery of the weather, a la Zeus. They'd seen Jesus' mastery now. He has already cast out demons a couple times. So he, he was the Lord of Hades now. And now, like this Poseidon thing, we see again, Jesus calmed water one time. Now the dude's strolling on it. What on earth is this guy doing? Is he just strutting? Is he just showing off? Is he flexing? Like, what, what, what's he doing? And um, I think Mark had already, already made the disclaimer that Jesus is the Savior and the Son of God. And so the disciples, it's, isn't it sometimes interesting to confuse what God's doing, our salvation, with something terrifying? Like sometimes like the way out or the thing that like God might say, I want you to tell the truth no matter what. That looks terrifying. Well, God, if I'm found out, I could lose my job, I could lose my house, I could lose my life, I could go to jail, I could get sued, whatever it is. And it looks terrifying as he walks by with that answer. It may not be a cipher or like an apparition, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's equally terrifying sometimes when the answer that comes when we're drowning sounds something like that or looks something like that. And God often will seem to be hiding or, you know, um, distant in our pain, in our nadir or whatever we're in, just great or small, and then all of a sudden, like, like Aslan and Narnia, dude just appears out of nowhere. Things can change. Things can change. I mean, are you looking for him to come, or are you expecting him to come in a way you need him to or want him to for it to be real? Or have you given up hope that he's even gonna show up? Do you wonder where he is? Do you wonder, should you respond to him? Or maybe, maybe even you're kind of new to this, and when you see people praying, or maybe praying in the spirit, or, or doing spiritual things, maybe it terrifies you when you see God moving in a way that is outside of your realm of experience, or of outside of your understanding. Is it terrifying for you when God moves? When the lights go on, do you clam up? You clinch up and you want no part of it because that, that would be a little bit off the reservation for you. And I think that it's really important that for things to change sometimes, we have to be willing to let God be God. We have to be willing to let his ways be higher than ours. We have to be willing to let him do some things that don't answer the questions in the ways we want them answered. We have to be willing not to have demands with him and to let him do a thing. 
because they had already seen him before. Like, what are you doing sleeping? And he's like, oh, peace be still, you know? And so they're probably hoping like out there, like maybe Jesus sees the waves and maybe, or he's surfing like on the invisible jet ski or something and we don't see it and he's just walking on the waves. Maybe he sees them and he'll just tell them to be still. But what does Jesus do next? What does Jesus do next? Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. How about that? But seeing the wind, he became frightened and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. <coughs> Jesus says, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, and then he says to him, you have little faith, why do you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind stopped. <coughs> and those who were in the boat were utterly astonished and worshiped him saying, I can see like that Wayne's world thing, like we are not worthy, we are not worthy. Like, you know, like there was that, that moment that I'm sure the disciples had, like we are not worthy. If you're young, Wayne's world is still good comedy. <coughs> still good comedy. He said, why are you, he said, and they said, they're utterly astonished and worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. But immediately he spoke to them, almost cutting them off and says, then why are you still afraid? Why are you still afraid? And it says, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. I think Jesus would look at a lot of us with all the stuff going on in our worlds and our lives and our families, marriages, ministries, our health, whatever, and would say to us, why are you still afraid? I mean, we look at like Russia on the borders like the Ukraine and like near Belarus and we look at how China is seizing airports in Africa and we look at how like our, our world is just, governments are being toppled daily. And it seems like the world's, you know, filling up with people that can't be matched. And how will anyone stop it? And I think Jesus would just look at us and like, why are you still afraid? Like, why are you worried about this stuff? Why are you worried about, like, what's going on out there? Like, have I not shown you enough already? And maybe he hasn't. Maybe you don't have a broad, expansive experience with him. But he would look at you and love you, and he would say, don't be afraid. He would say, don't be afraid. Whatever's going on. Whatever's going on, don't be afraid. I had you then, I'll have you now. And it's kind of like, I think that, the, that the, the hearts that Jesus desires to meet him on the water are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're like, we'll go in the fire. We're not gonna bow to you. And uh, we believe our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, it's better to fry and meet him than it is to um, be cool out here and hang with y'all. And I think that's what we're up against in our worlds, in our lives. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of waves crashing against our boats. News outlets, you know, endless, endless media, um, our, our own feelings, our own skin, our own thoughts, our own thinking, our own traumas. 
the abuse maybe we've, we've lived through. And there's a lot of things that happen to all of us that beat up against our boats. And in the natural, we have a reason to be afraid. But friends, we're, if you love Jesus, um, things are a little different. If we love Jesus, things are a little different. And that might sound arrogant, but our daddy's a king. And when your dad's a king, like life's a little different. When your daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills, why are we so worried about money? If we know that the finger of God drives out demons, why are we afraid of scary stuff and scary people? If we know that Jesus can calm a storm, that he can speak the world into existence just by snapping his fingers, like why do we doubt that he'll change our worlds? I mean, this is not a God who, can, who, who, who has to like get Plato and some other stuff. Like everything that he, it was nothing and he just made it. Like this is not hard for him. But yet the God who's that powerful and amazing and who can command water, command spirits, looks at you and me and says, you're the one I'm pursuing. And Jesus gets so mad about doubt because he has no doubt how he feels about us. Jesus gets, I think, lack of faith irks him because he's like, dude, I'm doing everything I can for you to see how much I love you and how great my affections are for you. Why do you still doubt? Why don't you believe that I love you, that I care about you, or why, why won't you trust that my ways are better? Why won't you trust that what the world says is love, if I say it's different, that mine is cruel? Why, why do you believe my way is cruel? Why do you believe if there's a hell, that's cruel? Why do you believe if I say there's a way, there's a road, there's a path, why do you believe that's cruel? Or why do you believe it can't be? Why do all drains have to lead to the ocean? I don't know, but there's only one who can calm the ocean, so that's the one I'm gonna trust. Jesus, take the wheel. That's perfect, Carrie Underwood. I cannot sing like Carrie Underwood. I sing better. And I'm easier to look at. I'm lying to you guys. I'm like, um, no, but y'all killed it today. Y'all sang really great. So that's a good thing I'm not up there because no one would say that then. But, um, you know, the thing about, about, about Jesus is, is he, he wants to, do you know a lot of times the reason he doesn't show up in our lives? <clears throat> I'm gonna, this is really kind of crazy, but it's our unbelief. Do you know that God, by his nature, is a lover? And love, by its nature, is about choice. He's never gonna force us to love him. He's not like that. He's never gonna force us to come to him. He's never gonna force us to believe in him. So there's times in our lives where maybe he does take his hands off and just says, okay, because I'm not gonna force you. I'm not gonna flex here. I'm not gonna show off. I'm not going to control you, manipulate you into believing me. If you wanna do it, have at it. And that happens, that's real. But there's other times 
where there's hard stuff happening, where there's tests happening. And he's with us in that. But he's not gonna make us pass the test. He's not gonna make us get it right this time. He's not gonna make us pick him. He's not gonna make us love him back. Because picking, picking a different way would be a step towards loving him. And he's not gonna force us to do that. But the thing about Jesus that I've learned is Jesus rarely shows up early, but he's never late. He's always on time. He doesn't come how and when we expect. Jesus intended to walk by them, but I think something changed. I'm thinking perhaps he didn't just want them to observe his awesomeness, that he wanted to rescue them. That he wanted to rescue them. Maybe he just saw something in Peter. Maybe everyone else is thinking it's a ghost. And Peter's like, Lord, is that you? And he's like, ah, that's my boy. Come on out. Like, what keeps us from joining him? What keeps me in my life from joining him? I mean, we all have these stepping out of the boat moments, these kairos moments. You know, kairos moments are just stepping out of the boat of our life moment where God intersects into our story and says, hey, I want to meet you here. I want to meet you for lunch. I want to meet you for breakfast. I want to meet you in this moment right now when you feel really dialed up. I want to, feel, I want to meet you right now when you're hopeless, when you're angry, when you're frustrated. I want to meet you when you're really happy. I don't want you to just call on me when the crap's hitting the fan. Like, I would love to talk to you when you're happy too. I'd love to talk to you when you're full. I'd love to talk to you when you're satisfied. But I'll, I'd love to talk to you too when it's bleak and you can't get out of your own way or it, it keeps happening again. What's your barrier? What's the greatest barrier in, barrier in your life to you experiencing Jesus in the way he means for you to? What's your greatest barrier in the boat? Now, not everyone was a man of the sea. There was a tax collector. There was a zealot. There was some, you know, uh, treasury people, finance people, maybe like a fidelity guy. That's what Judas, well, he was infidelity. But like, you know, he was a money guy. But there was definitely some fishermen commandeering the helm who knew what they were doing. What's your barrier in the boat you're on of life to experiencing Jesus, to mistaking him as something else? and not believing he'll come through again. See, Kairos isn't always only the chance of a lifetime. It's not. But the thing about Kairos is we often won't get another one till we get the last one. Like God is really deliberate on us needing to learn some of the lesson, lessons and go through some of the experiences and grow in our faith and trust of him. It's really important to him. And you, it, that's where he can feel distant and absent. He's like, I'm not, but I'm still playing the same tape over and over and giving you the same message. Will you stop lying or exaggerating? Will you stop caring what other people think? Will you just believe me? Will you share what you have and stop worrying about the future? 
Will you live with your brain instead of what's in your pants? I mean, seriously, these are the real things Jesus is saying to us. He says, will you use the equipment that I gave you to follow me instead of worrying about what everyone else has or what you don't have or what you can do or can't do? And sometimes we will never get, it's like you can't go to third grade until you pass second grade. Doesn't mean he's mean, doesn't mean he's cruel, doesn't mean he's absent. It just means that sometimes we have these lessons and you see Jesus over and over again. He's like, why don't you guys believe? Why won't you trust me? I'm here, I love you. I'll save your bacon again, but man, like, wouldn't it have been sweet if they all was like, oh, that's Jesus. Like, we're all gonna run out on the water. If he's doing it, we can too. Do you know the same stuff Jesus does? We can do? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said we'd do the same, but even greater. Same. And he doesn't lie. So whether like it's in like the miraculous realm or the metaphysical realm or the physical realm in the emotional realm, like Jesus says, you can do the same stuff that I did. You can have self-control. You can be kind. You can be merciful, you can be tender, you can be loving, forgiving, you can be accepting, you can be wise, you can cast righteous judgments, but you can avoid like the nasty ones. You can live free while everyone else is being controlled. You can pray for the sick and they'll get better. You can tell the weather what to do and it will if you'll do it according to my will. He's not trying to make every day sunny in Philadelphia. But there's times where it's bad and you'll say, Holy Spirit, come, and he will. He'll do it. He'll do it, because that's what he's like. So where is he calling you in your life to venture out with him to the impossible, terrifying, or murky? And our responses are imperative to what comes next and how God's gonna move. And I think that that the point of this story is that's really cool is they believed that the gods could move in the elements. They believed Poseidon could rage in the sea. So when Jesus came, that was cool. But then Jesus says, well, hey, I can do this. Peter can do this. But you know what the cool thing is, guys, the next step is you and me can do this too. So it's just not about Jesus or like the apostles, the super spiritual the pastors, the leaders, the prayer team, the youth pastor. It's not just about the worship team. Jesus is like, I can do this, they can do this, you can do this. Like, we can do this. And Jesus says, because if you believe in me, anything's possible. You need more money, trust me, watch what I do. You need more food, trust me, watch what I do. You need some friends, trust me, watch what I do. You need some health, trust me, watch what I do. You need some freedom, trust me, watch what I do. And it's imperative that we're people of this. It's it's imperative that we're people of the word, that we know his word, that we hide his word in our hearts, that we we take it and we learn it and we chew on it. And like I love when... um, so in John 6, where part of this story comes from, later on, they, they come to Jesus, and he's like, I got food y'all know nothing about. He's like, I got food y'all know nothing about. And they're asking if he's hungry, and this and that. He's like, he's like, the, the, like, he's like my food is to do the, the will of the one who sent me. 
And in our lives, our situations can turn, can transition when our will becomes to do the will of the one who sent us. Things can change. And things start changing when we go from a Sunday or a consumer or a cursory or maybe a part-time Christianity and we're like, God, I'm just going all in. I'm getting out of the water. I'm getting out in the water. And I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'll probably say it a thousand more times. If you wanna see God move in ways others don't, you gotta seek him in ways others won't. Good point. That's, that's the move. If your situation's overwhelming, well, take another gear. There's another depth with God. You can have as much of him as you want, as much. Do you know you can have as much of Jesus as you want? There's breakthrough for everything under the sun for people that wanna go. But if you just wanna sit in the pews and come on Sunday, that's great, but you'll, you'll never have the life that does greater than what Jesus did if, if it's just part-time with that Lionel Richie, like the part-time lover. I'm a part-time lover. You know, it's, there you go. So I don't sing as well as Carrie Underwood or Margie or Lucas or, or anyone else that's alive. So, but I'm just too shameless to not do it, so. Now you want to drop some bars. Like, that's, that's another story. It's another story from another time. If you want to step up, you can hear me rhyme. So, um, <clears throat> here's a great quote, and we're going to wrap up on this. God doesn't bring us to a time of testing for him to see what's in our hearts. Here he knows that better than we do. The trials are for us to discover what's in our hearts. God sets up the trial so we can discover that we can make it. That's Pastor Ted Roberts said that. And I, I think time after time in the Bible and in this story, we see God saying to his people in the midst of difficulty, don't be afraid, I'm with you. He set the whole thing up for our growth. Not because he just wants to watch us fail or watch us fall or watch us drown. But he wants us to grow, not, not to demise. And it's especially true in, the, in our lives in the points of past traumas, in the places where we've been abused, battered, and betrayed or shamed, or stuck in bondage. Like God returns us to some of those places. Not to find out what we're made of. He's aware of it. He's mindful what we are. But how are we growing in our capacity to respond to him? And one thing has to change before Jesus will do his thing, and often that's fear. It's just perfect love cast out all fear. And my friend says to me a couple years ago, he says, maybe inversely can fear then cast out love. The more fear we have in our lives, the more love doesn't exist in our lives. In love, trust Jesus enough to say, I'll come out on the water with you. Or even in this storm, Lord, I'm gonna praise you. Like I love with like Paul and Silas and our dudes are in jail and it says like they're praising God and singing <clears throat> and they're just sitting there in chains and beaten up and says the walls fall down. A lot of times in our lives, the answer to fear is just praise. God, this looks bleak. This don't look like, uh, it's gonna work out, but I trust you. I praise you, you're my God. It's like Job said, though, Job said, though you slay me, 
yet I serve you. And so the grace is found in both the invitation and the challenge. The invitation to come out on the water and the challenge to stay there and not go back to an old life that was not that great anyways. So I just wanna, wanna encourage you this week and I, I wanna ask you, I'm gonna invite our prayer teams and worship team back up. Come to the altar today. Don't just leave here. If you're like, if anything touched your heart and you're like, I know there's another gear or maybe my life's full of fear or maybe I've been there before and I just haven't experienced for a long time, come get prayer. Come get prayer, man. There's something that when saints, when, when, when people of God pray for you, that there's something that moves in the spiritual realm. There's something that happens that we just can't get on our own. And sometimes we gotta confess, maybe your life is riddled with a hurt, a habit, or else a hang up that you just can't get past. Well, come up and get prayer for that. God can move. God can move. Maybe you're like, I, I just, I wanna see a move of God in my life on the earth. I think there's some of you old people there's some old peeps up in here. <laughs> Not gonna lie. But what I'll say, what I'll say is this, God's not done with you. You look at Abraham and Moses, like their last lap was way better than most people's first, right? So no matter where you are, like God is not done with you. It's not curtains for you while there's breath in your lungs. You're not washed up. Just because you're old, you know, society is all about like, Make, you know, making you look young and, you know, or feel young. But like, man, there's something to be said about being old and walking with the Lord. Because you, you can't hurry up experience. You can't fake it. You can't buy it. You can't Botox it. Like, so, so you elderly, we honor you. God's not done with you yet. Young, you're not too young. David, all the disciples. What about it? Amen. And to the young people, it's never too early to start. Jesus was probably a youth pastor, all right? Look at all the disciples besides, John, uh, besides Peter were under 21. So Lord, would you just come in this place? Things can change. Let things change at the Florence Vineyard. Let things change in Cincinnati. Let things change in every family, every life, every school, every business, every neighborhood represented here. Would you let things change? Would you help us to be people that aren't riddled by fear or doubt or lack, but people that trust you and watch you walk on the waves and we join you? You love us. Help us to experience that in a fresh, new, and powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen.